But to start, uh, let's ask uh, a couple of questions just to kind of uh, set the uh, set the tone here. Um, what can the word upset mean? If somebody says I am upset or something upset me, he seems upset. What what, what all can that mean? Disturbed, angry, agitated, turned over. Oh, physically upset something. I get yeah yeah. Sorry, I moved on to twenty five. No. Okay, what else? Hurt. Feelings hurt. So could we categorize sad there as well? Yeah. So it could be angry. It could be sad. Um, could be flipped over. <laughs> um, what else? Anything else you guys think about? Okay. Yeah, so upset could be um, really anything that is not ideal. Any time that you don't feel um, in an ideal mood or something has not gone the, exactly the way that you would like it to, you could be described as upset. So it could be sadness, it could be agitation, frustration, it could be anger, it could be a lot of different things. Um, what is it that makes something upsetting to a person? Like why would someone consider something upset? I, I sort of uh, maybe led you in that direction a second ago. Yeah, yeah, so there you go. Yeah, when something doesn't go the way that a person wants it to, how else might you say that or what else do you guys have in mind? Or the way that it actually should go, sure. Anything else? Yeah, if the, if the circumstances are not to a person's approval or are not... Um, uh, honestly even right that can be upsetting um so so yeah it, it's kind of here's where i kind of want you to go with that is i want you to think about the fact something is upsetting to someone whether it makes them sad frustrated agitated angry whatever the case may be they're upset when they judge a situation a scenario circumstances whatever the case may be an outcome when they judge it to not be satisfactory to them Right? When something is not satisfying to you, it's upsetting to you. It's basically one or the other. Either you're satisfied, you're okay with that. Um, maybe that satisfaction is actually like, you know, makes you very happy, very glad. Or maybe it's just, well, I'm okay with that. That doesn't upset me. You know, you know no big deal. That doesn't upset me. You do, do what you're doing. That's fine. No big deal. Sometimes, you know, we're a little kind of indifferent to it, but we're satisfied. Otherwise, we're upset. If we're not satisfied with something, we're upset. And so tonight as we talk about um, upsetting Jesus, we're not talking about how to do that and like that we want to or anything like that. But as we think about uh, how Matthew chapter 23 is full of things that upset Jesus in a variety of ways. And I think in many of the, the passages that we're going to look at tonight, I think we're going to see that he probably was both up, like angry and sad. You know, that things really frustrated him and, you know, kind of made him a, a bit dejected, you know, about what he was seeing. Certainly, Jesus expresses his dissatisfaction, uh, to, to say the least, throughout Matthew chapter 23. But we're not so concerned about, you know, just be like, yeah, Jesus really gave it to those Pharisees. We want to see what it is that upset Jesus. Because that's important. Because if Jesus was upset by these things, that means that they're not satisfied. They don't satisfy him. They don't please him. And in fact, it's not even that it, they don't make him happy. It's not even that he's indifferent toward them. He's, they bother him. These things are frustrating to him. He's not okay with these things. They're not right. And so we want to make sure that we, we have a, a talk tonight and discuss what upset Jesus and, and avoid doing these things and talk about the dangers, like why they're bad. It's not just because Jesus said arbitrarily, this is bad, this is good. This is bad, this is good. Well, how am I going to remember that? Because it makes sense. The, the things that are bad are going to be dangerous for you physically, spiritually, emotionally. We're going to be able to see the things that upset Jesus upset him for a reason because he loves us 
and they're things that are not good for us, okay? So let's jump in here because we got a lot of ground to cover. Um, I'm just going to go ahead and warn you, I'm planning not to spend a ton of time on each one. Hopefully we don't finish in like 20 minutes. Uh, well, you guys probably wouldn't mind, but um, hopefully this doesn't go too fast, but I am going to try to keep it moving a little bit because we do have uh, quite a few verses to read, and, and we do want to have at least a few moments to talk about each one. So uh, each each. Uh, passage, each group of uh, readings. So first look at Matthew 23, verses 1 through 4 there in your Bibles. It says, Then Jesus spoke to the crowds and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. Therefore, all that they tell you, do and observe, but do not do according to their deeds. For they say things and do not do them. They tie up heavy burdens and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are unwilling to move them with so much as a finger. All right, so uh, you see there under where it says, read Matthew 23, 1 through 4, uh, each one of these is going to say, what upset Jesus? And you're going to fill in the blank. Uh, so what upset Jesus? Not practicing what you preach. Not practicing what what you preach. So some questions here, a couple of questions um, as we think about how Jesus was upset by these guys who didn't practice what they preached. The first one says, what did Jesus mean or what does Jesus mean when he says that the Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses? Do you know what that means? That they have seated themselves, the Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. What does that mean? Say that one more time. Yes, so it's, it's true that they did that. And more specifically, they were in the seat that was expected to deliver the law of Moses, right? So what they were telling people to say and do, we know it went beyond the law of Moses, but they were seated in that chair, the teacher's chair. Uh, you guys have probably heard it before. Um, not that we talk about it very often, but it gets brought up now and again that, you know, hey, how'd you like to, to you know, be a, a member of a congregation following after a rabbi back in the old days because it used to be the rabbi would sit and the students would stand. You know, people talk about, you think the sermons are long now, you know, imagine that. So it gets brought up every once in a while almost as a joke, but it's true. It used to be the rabbi would sit in a seat and he would sit there and he would teach, you know, whether from a scroll or just, you know, off the cuff, so to speak. You know, he'd sit there and, and he'd teach and you all would stand. So for the rest of the night, just so you don't forget this lesson, I'd like you all, no, I'm kidding. It's funny to think about, yeah. Yeah, they're like, this better not even go 20 minutes now. <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, so, so they did have a, an actual chair, but he's really talking about the, um, the, the role that they had. They were, although they didn't do it quite right, and we know they had issues, major issues, they were seated in a chair. Uh, we would say it today like the hat they wore was... You know, we don't mean they actually wore a hat, but we mean that that was their role, their responsibility. Uh, but we do also say they did sit in a chair as they taught, and it was to deliver the law of Moses. That was their, their job. That was their responsibility as teachers to do that, uh, albeit uh, imperfectly. They, they certainly didn't do it quite right, but they did sit in the seat of uh, a teacher of God's law, uh, the law of Moses, all right? Number two says, in what ways are we prone to, uh, to not do, oh, I'm sorry, let me read that again. I've written this oddly and now I'm reading it wrong. <laughs> In what ways are we prone to not doing what we expect of others? So how are we prone to doing that sometimes, uh, to, to not doing what we expect others to do? How do you think that happens? Because it does happen, all right? So how do you think it happens? We expect something of other people. We're talking in the church, spiritually, that sort of thing. Uh, we expect certain things of other people, but we're prone to expecting it, but not always living up to the same expectations. Why do you think that happens? Why do you think we do that, or how? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Well, that was my very first thought, was we're slow to listen, and we're so quick to speak. And that's right where you landed. Uh, we're quick to speak and we're slow to listen. I, I think, you know, uh, the Bible obviously says that we should be the opposite, right? We need to be quick to listen. We need to be slow to speak. You know, uh, everybody always likes to say, God gave you two ears. 
one mouth for a reason, right? Um, I'm not sure if that's exactly uh, theologically uh, quite right, but, but the fact remains, we do need to do more listening than we do uh, talking. Uh, we need to do more listening on the front end and then share after we're informed, share what we can after we're more informed. Um, how many times would we probably have taken back or restated uh, what we said had we known what someone was going through? Had we had a few more details about their story, their situation, and ha- had gotten to know kind of who they are, or, or maybe we know them real well, but we don't know today at, you know, 615, quite what they've been through or something like that. We might change the way we speak to those people, right? We might change the way we offer up that answer. And so I think a lot of times, boy, we're just quick to, we know what we think is right. And boom, we're ready to, to tell them what wouldn't upset us, <laughs> what would be satisfying to us. And then we don't necessarily hold ourselves to the same standard. Uh, what else? Do you think there's any other situations or any other uh, things that maybe cause us to do that, to, to, not, hold other, to not hold ourselves to that same, um, same sort of standard? Mm-hmm. But we still expect others to, don't we? Yeah, maybe we don't really want to do it, but boy, we know people should. And so people are the ones who end up being held to that standard and not so much ourselves. But we're people too, right? <laughs> Our culture is infected with this incessant need to share our opinions, isn't it? People have to tell you everything they're thinking um, uh, at, at every given opportunity. Um, it's like, the, and I don't, I don't mean this to sound rude, but it's like they think we care. <laughs> That's the end of the sentence. <laughs> I mean, like, you know, like, like we care about every single thing they think about everything. I'm pretty confident it didn't used to be that way. You know, there was somebody in every circle, you know, that was like that. But it didn't, I don't think it used to be everybody, you know, the moment you said one word about one thing, they're like, well, you know that, and here we go with something you Googled five minutes ago, you know. It didn't used to be that way, but boy, now especially, um, everybody wants to share our opinions. And so we do this with spiritual things too. Uh, we, we jump on others. We announce how things should be, uh, what everybody should be doing. And, and we can see where others fail. You know, Jesus talked about this, didn't he? About having the, the plank in your eye or the log in your eye and, and being able still to see the speck those in your brothers and how we need, to, we need to fix that and how we need to handle that. It's just a fact of the matter is we can't, and Carol kind of spoke to this as well, we can see it in other people. Like we can see it so clearly in other people and oftentimes we have, a, we have all these blind spots on ourselves and we don't see them. But it doesn't stop us because again, uh, it should, I'm not saying we shouldn't stop and we shouldn't slow down, but I'm just stating it doesn't for some reason stop us from going on out and telling other people how they should behave and how they should live. And so I think that is how we end up. I'm pretty confident that is how we end up not doing what we expect of others. And now we need to close this little section by saying this upset Jesus. It upsets Jesus when we don't practice what we preach. So I'm not saying stop preaching <laughs> and, and so that, you know, your practice matches up with your preaching. I'm saying keep preaching, but practice what you preach. You know, see the blind spots, look for the blind spots, inspect yourself uh, with sober judgment. You know, take the time that you need on a daily basis. Uh, the Lord set aside some time on the Lord's day for us to gather around and, and examine ourselves, right? This is a valuable thing to do or we might in, end up upsetting Jesus. The next section, Matthew chapter 23 verses 5 through 7 says this, starting verse 5 there, but they do all their deeds to be noticed by men. For they broaden their phylacteries and lengthen the tassels of their garments. They love the place of honor at banquets and the chief seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplace and being called rabbi by men. So number two, what upset Jesus? The answer is caring for reputation, not righteousness. Caring for reputation, not righteousness. So how we're looking at this passage, just verse 5 through 7, 
Answer me this. How were the Pharisees guilty of this attitude that upset Jesus? Caring about their reputation, not righteousness. How were they guilty? What kind of things were they doing that, that made them guilty of caring for reputation, not righteousness? Searching for power, prestige, and glory. Okay. How were they doing that? Making everything noticeable by men. Yes. And there's some specific things here, aren't there? It says they broaden their phylacteries. Now, when I hear that, I don't know quite why, but I picture a pterodactyl. I'm just, I'm just letting you in on my brain. I just picture pterodactyl and I can't tell you why, but, but I, can, I can now explain to you um, what, what that really is. So, so the phylacteries were these little leather covered boxes, four sides, no more, no less, and they would put scripture uh, on any given side and it could rotate and switch around and all that good stuff. Um, and it was to be put right between the eye, above the eyes, but right between them. So right in the center uh, of, of your head. It, it, now I'm not saying God said you should do this, the Pharisees, you know, decided to do this. Um, and then the, uh, that's broadening the phylacteries meant, okay, well, we started with this little box and next thing you know, it's a bigger box and it's a bigger box. And they even had a very specific way. I don't know what it was, but they had a specific way that was supposed to be tied on uh, very plainly uh, 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 that they were very clear about, oh, if it's not tied on this way, you're not, you're not holy. You're just, you're just pretending. You're just a pretender. You're not one of us. The Pharisees will look down on you for tying the, the phylacteries on wrong. Uh, broadening, or broadening, lengthening the tassels of the garments. Um, they, they came up with this, um, this uh, tassel thing that would hang from the garments. And it was just, you know, a little tassel here, a little tassel there, that sort of thing. To, to remind them that they belong to God. To remind them to pray. To remind them of a variety of things. They were reminders. But what they started doing, apparently, was lengthening them. As Melissa said, it was all to be noticed by men. Because it came to be known that if you had, or came to be thought of, that if you had longer tassels, that, that uh, seemed to say that you were more serious about these things. Like you were more serious about remembering that, that you were God's chosen people and that you needed to pray today and all these different things. And so, so all of this was to be noticed by men, broadening the phylacteries, lengthening the tassels of their garments. And, and none of these things were what God meant to do. When God said in Deuteronomy and various passages, uh, things such as, you know, write these laws on your, your, uh, on your foreheads, you know, to... Um, carry them with you where you go, all this stuff. What he meant, you know, with on your hands and your, your forehead and all this stuff, he didn't mean literally. This was a, this was a, a, a gross misinterpretation of what God was talking about. You know, put it right here in the center of your thoughts. Take it out there as you work with your hands in, in what you actually uh, are out there doing, you know, in life day to day. You know, he wasn't talking about, you know, tying things to your wrists and putting them on your foreheads and, you know, hanging tassels off your garments and things like that. That's not what he was getting at. Not that those things had to be evil. Those actually could have been fine things, you know, as great little reminders, you know. Um, I, oh, I don't have it on right now. I had it on this morning. I bet I washed my hands, got water under that little bracelet, and I bet I took it off. I typically am wearing my gospel bracelet. It's a good little reminder. You know, if I pop that up, if I'm talking to somebody in line, you know, at a grocery store or something, it'll, you know, it'll be right there, and I'll think, do I have an opportunity here? You know, and like it'll remind me that I need to be sharing that message. Sometimes people will even ask me about it, but I don't wear it so people will ask me about it because you'll find a lot of people won't ask you about it. So don't, so don't wear, you know, Jesus t-shirts to, to get noticed. Wear Jesus t-shirts for yourself to remind yourself, I need to go and witness to people. But anyway, these things could be okay. They could be fine, but they were doing it to be noticed by men. That's what these Pharisees were doing. And uh, they were more, more concerned about, like we said, the reputation than the righteousness. They liked being called rabbi. Uh, they liked uh, hearing those words come off of people's mouths. They liked respectful greetings in the marketplace. And that doesn't mean just respectful like, oh, well, that was respectful of that little guy. No, they mean when people treated them with honor and reverence and you know, respectful in that way that, you know, you know, oh, you know, that's Dr. So-and-so, you know. Don't call him Mark. His name is Dr. So you know, you know, that sort of thing. They liked that. They really got into that sort of thing, uh, getting those respectful greetings in the marketplace. And it was all, again, they liked being noticed by men. 
doing all these things that were supposed to look righteous, but it was all to get the attention of men, concerned about their reputation. How might we be guilty of doing the same thing? Question number four. You think so? Uh, just the act of clapping does that? I would think it would be in how you receive that because we're talking about, oh, okay. Number four, how might we be guilty of doing the same thing? Caring about reputation rather than righteousness. So, okay, but, but let's, let's go down that route for a second. If, if, what, if someone was up here doing a special and... Um, we clap because that is the human reaction to appreciating something, right? When we appreciate something, we, we applaud it, okay? We're not, you know, this is different, you know? <laughs> that's a lot different than, you know, that sort of thing. That's a lot different. Um, but if the reception was, uh, if the attitude was, wow, they really like me. They really do. That's not great because that grows into, it's okay to, to, to be liked, but that could grow in to, well, now I get up here for that. And there's folks that I'm sure have from time to time jumped up here because, you know, hey, look what I can do. Or, hey, I, I just want to be noticed. And, and maybe it's not a, not a conceited sort of thing, but maybe it's just I need some attention. Like, like I'm hurting and I don't know quite what to do, but I know how to do this, so I'm going to do that. That's, that's not good for that person. Uh, but certainly people do things like that, where they're concerned. Uh, they're doing something that appears righteous, but really they're doing it to be noticed by men. And that's, that's the, the general answer to our question. How do we do this? Well, the same way the Pharisees did. Maybe it's something in church. Maybe it's something among our brothers and sisters in Christ, but our reason for doing it is not to honor God. It's not to actually grow in our relationship with him, to grow closer to him by doing his will, but instead it's to be noticed for some reason. Uh, when we accept praise from men without giving glory to God, uh, doing things to be noticed by others, uh, feeling entitled to receive honor from those in the church, you know, this kind of thing happens, uh, you guys, in almost every building, every other building, um, we've quietly, and I might get myself in trouble now, we, we've quietly gotten rid of the plaques. But you go to every other church building and how many people at some point in time believe that there needed to be a plaque. There needed to be an engraving somewhere that so-and-so has done this, so-and-so paid for that, so-and-so did. And, and maybe those people didn't even want that. But I'm just saying some people believe that when a $5,000 donation gets made to the church to do this or to do that, that there needs to be some sort of thing hung on the wall so that everyone will know what they did. That's dangerous because if you're doing that because you feel like that needs to be done, like if you're the person who did it and you do it to be noticed, you know, think Ananias and Sapphira, right? Um, you know, they came and offered up the, uh, the, the land, came up and offered up the payment could have said, this is 75% of what we sold the money for. We're going to keep this 25 so we can, you know, continue to, you know, do this and do that. Whatever, it doesn't matter. But they didn't say that. They said, this is the price we sold the land for. Lied to the apostles, lied to the Holy Spirit, and uh, got their justice for it. Because they were doing something that would have been righteous. But their reason was to get attention. Clearly, it, it was the heart that was the problem. The heart behind the action was the issue. Again, caring about reputation rather than righteousness. All right, let's look at the next one here. Uh, Matthew chapter 23, verses 8 through 12 now. says, But do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher, and you are all brothers. Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father, he who is in heaven. Do not be called leaders, for one is your leader, that is Christ. But the greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. All right, so here, what upset Jesus? The answer is exalting self with titles you don't deserve. Exalting self with titles you don't deserve. 
So number five, the question there says, what is the real issue that lies beneath the symptoms that Jesus addressed here? Because a, a very literal person is going to go, wait, so I can't call my dad father? And I can't call my, like I went all through grade school saying my teacher told me this, my teacher, I can't call somebody teacher, you know, no, it's not that. What's the, what's the issue? What's the, what's the real issue that Jesus is driving at here? Uh-huh, yeah, it's very closely related to um, our last our last point of caring about that reputation being noticed by men, but now instead of actions, it's what you want to be called. Yeah, Willie, were you gonna say something? Yeah, and what do they do that for? The respect, the recognition, the reverence, that sort of thing. Pride, right? Pride is the underlying problem here, a lack of humility. What's happening is we're ranking ourselves. Jesus, and here's how we know this, because Jesus then says, you have one father, you have one leader, one teacher, all this stuff. And what does he follow that with? He says, you are all brothers. So don't be ranking yourselves is, is basically what he's getting at. You know, it, it's a pride thing. It's a lack of humility because none of you, what Jesus is saying is none of you is above somebody else. He says, you've got one father. He's the one who's in heaven. One, one rabbi, it's your Lord Jesus. You know, all these, all these things he says. He says, and you are all brothers, right? You are all equal. You are all on a level playing field. Uh, none of you is above the other. So what Jesus is clearly driving at is that these titles are trying to put you above somebody else. These titles are trying for, for you to say, I rank higher. I, I rank higher. And we see this in the corporate world. You know, we see uh, uh, plenty. And, and I understand there needs to be structure in man-made human organizations. There needs to be structure as to who has higher authorities and things like that as far as how to run the business. That, that's one thing. But we, we definitely see it there. You've got senior this. and You've got associate that. And, you know, you've got all these different titles. And that, that identifies your ranking. It identifies where you are on the, the corporate ladder or on the, the actual, you know, leadership scale, that sort of thing. Um, those are important in the corporate world and necessary in the corporate world. But when it comes to spiritual things, we have one CEO, one president, one founder of his church, you know, like one guy who's in charge and it's the Lord. He is the one. We're all brothers. We're all equals. Uh, we are servants to one another. God calls us to be servants to one another and servants ultimately to him. Now, how do we see this primarily taking place today? When it comes to spiritual side of things, we're not concerned about, you know, at this factory or at that office complex, who's called president. I'm not concerned about that. In the church world, when we're talking about spiritual things, how do we see this sort of thing taking place where people are exalting themselves with titles that they don't deserve? Yeah, certain... Certainly there are, are groups, that, that, that's basically the thing that we see is different groups using different names that they have um, clearly put in to, to show the ranking, to show where these people rank. Um, and yes, there are ones who call themselves Pope. There are ones who insist on being called Dr. So-and-so. There are some people who say, you know, that they need to be referred to as Dr. So-and-so because they got their PhD. They didn't pay all that money and write that thesis for nothing, right? That can be a problem. Um, guys who want to be called reverend. Uh, guys who want to be called senior pastor. Um, you know, senior is kind of like the, the chief. You know, like a senior officer is kind of like a chief. And pastor is shepherd. You know the only one that was called the, the chief shepherd in the Bible? Starts with a J and ends with Ethos. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't want to call, I don't ever want to hear anybody being called senior pastor because I'm like, oh boy, you're calling yourself chief shepherd. Uh, but you've got all the corporate world stuff that carries over, executive minister of this, senior minister, associate minister, all these different things that we're not using what the Bible uses for titles in the church. I mean, we are. But there's a lot who aren't and or they're they're using one word from the Bible and they're misusing it. Um, 
Well, that's a different lesson. I won't go down that route. But anyway, these, a lot of this corporate stuff gets carried over into the church world. And that in itself is not right. Because what it is, is we're trying to say, well, this guy's in charge. That's why we call him the senior executive minister of blank. Well, honestly, you read a lot of those church websites and you're like, I, I don't honestly know what that means. I get that he's the first one listed and has the most titles and has executive and senior and all this stuff. So I, I assume he's in charge, but I don't really know what he's supposed to be doing. And how would you know unless you email or call the church office and they'll get back to you within 48 hours? <laughs> we ought to be able to look in the scripture and be able to see what the job description is for that person who calls himself the evangelist or those guys who call themselves the elders, or those guys who are deacons in the church. Like we ought to be able to just go to the Bible and say, oh, clearly that guy's job is this. Clearly that guy meets these qualifications because the Bible says to be an elder, you must, you know, so on and so forth. So um, a lot of this is people exalting themselves with these titles that they don't deserve, okay? And this upsets Jesus. And so it's not that we need to, to get angry about it. That's not what upset always means. But we shouldn't be okay with it. We shouldn't accept it here at Liberty. And we shouldn't support it in other places. Like, you know, we don't, we don't need to be like, well, when in Rome, you know, when I'm at this church, I'll call the guy senior pastor because that's what he wants to be called. That's, let's not do that. Just because it, it, just, it just keeps pushing this along and no one ever gets to bump up against Bible truth and say, oh, I'm not supposed to do this because this upset Jesus. All right, next one. Um, Let's read Matthew chapter 23, verses 13 through 15 now. Uh, verse 13 through 15, Jesus says, But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you shut off the kingdom of heaven from people, for you do not enter in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you devour widows' houses, and for a pretense you make long prayers. Therefore, you will, be, you will receive greater condemnation. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you travel around on sea and land to make one proselyte, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. So what made Jesus upset here? <laughs> Answer, being fake. Being fake. Number seven says, what negative results did Jesus say this kind of behavior can produce? What do you say happens when these guys behave this way? What does, it, what does it produce in others? Condemnation for who? Yeah, yeah. So condemnation for themselves, certainly, but also that's what I really want to drive at is the people, the other people. Yeah, the, the other people that they're going and, and teaching this attitude to other people. You know, they're hypocrites and, and people are smarter than you think. In some instances, they're dumber than you think, but, but they're also sometimes smarter than you think in that they're sitting there listening and they're noticing whether they realize it or not, they're seeing that, yeah, you say this, but after they kind of get in the swing of things, okay, we say this, but nobody really does this. You know, we just need to be here, bring the Bible, open it up. You know, uh, the longer the prayer, the more righteous. You know, we just kind of get these things that we just sort of learn. Uh, and it's like, that's not right. That's not the way this is. That, that's being fake. And what happens is we, if we are like that, okay, definitely condemnation coming our way. But then we go and promote it to other people. Other people start to see it in us. That's why we need to really watch our, our, our life and our doctrine carefully. Like Paul told Timothy, you know, watch it closely because other people that you go and, you know, proselytize, that you evangelize, that you go and try to pass your faith on, try to teach them these things, they're going to learn the things that you do. They're going to learn how you do Christianity and they're going to do it the same way. And Jesus, sometimes it makes me nervous just even to read the way he said it. Jesus says, you make them twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. Hmm. And did you notice that it says that uh, this kind of hypocrisy is going to receive greater condemnation? Greater than what? Well, I'm not quite sure, but apparently greater than status quo, whatever normal condemnation is for, you know, unrepentant sin that gets you sent to hell, apparently it's going to be greater for this kind of hypocrisy. 
where, you know, you sit here and, um, man, there's, there's widows who suffer because of you, because of some of the policies and things that you've made up on your own. And, and we know there were different ones that they, that they did. Um, the, the law of Corbin was one of them, you know, where they said, oh, you can, you can set this money aside, vow it to the temple, and then that gets you off of having to keep to the law of, of taking care of your parents honoring your parents in their older age and, and, and providing for them. Um, you know, they kept in the law that, oh, you get the first, um, the firstborn gets the, the double portion of the inheritance. That stays in. Well, that was for what? To take care of those parents in their aging years. But you could dedicate it to the temple where all these guys worked who made the law up. You could dedicate it to the temple, vow it to them, and then you don't have to take care of your aging parents. And, and so, you know, praying on the elderly, but then, oh, praying these long, righteous prayers as a pretense to cover up the, the unholiness that was, that was them. <laughs> um, that's going to receive a greater condemnation, that kind of hypocrisy. And I don't think there's too many of us in the room who would say that that's probably not justified. <laughs> That, that's exactly what that deserves. So we've got to be careful. That upsets Jesus, and we don't want to be that way. Um, so uh, the results, people are kept out of heaven. That kind of hypocrisy is going to receive greater condemnation. And then other people are going to be won over to that same kind of hypocrisy, suffer the same results, and the vicious cycle continues on uh, through the different ones that you've won to that style of um, so-called Christianity. Number eight, what negative results could this kind of behavior produce today? exactly the same. <laughs> it, it doesn't change. It's the same problems uh, just, uh, you know, uh, a couple thousand years later. Now let's look at verses 16 through 22 now. Uh, starting verse 16, it says, Woe to you, blind guides, who say, whoever swears by the temple, that is nothing. But whoever swears by the gold of the temple is obligated, obligated to keep the promise, right? The, the oath they made. Verse 17 says, you fools and blind men, which is more important, the gold or the temple that sanctified the gold? And whoever swears by the altar, uh, that is nothing, but whoever swears by the offering on it, he is obligated. You blind men, which is more important, the offering or the altar that sanctifies the offering? Therefore, Whoever swears by the altar swears both by the altar and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears both by the temple and him who dwells within it. And whoever swears by heaven swears both by the throne of God and by him who sits on it. So what upset Jesus here? The answer is making oaths you don't keep. <coughs> so this should be a simple answer. There's your, there's your hint. Number nine, which oaths is a person or are a person uh, obligated to keep? Which oaths that you make are you actually obligated to keep? All of them. Yeah. So, so don't get hung up in the details of the, the temple and the gold of the temple. Now, do understand that, that um, you know, in this context, he, Jesus is saying like, hey, you swear by any of it, you're swearing by him who dwells in it. You know, you're, you're misusing my name, my authority, uh, all of that. So by all means, that's true. But, but the fact that we need to get down to is the Bible's real clear on do what you say you're going to do. Okay, if you say you'll do something, just say you'll do something. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Uh, but boy, if you say you're going to do something, you better do it. Number 10, what kind of oaths do people treat as more important today? What is it that you think kind of gets people's attention and they think, ah, I got to do that? I would say ones that come with immediate results or consequences, right? Um, you hear people talk about whether it's in uh, finances or psychology or sort of thing. Like we, we, get, um, we get anxious and stressed out about things that have immediate return, like results, right? Even we call those urgent but maybe they're not even important, right? There's some things that we go and try to put this fire out because it's urgent. It's knocking on my door right now, but it's not the most important thing. You know, maybe, maybe there's a, um, a health issue that that's what I need to be working on, but I'm too busy 
doing all this other stuff because, you know, my barn got knocked over and I need to get it rebuilt in a hurry. Well, you also need to be watching what you're eating and, and exercising and, and, you know, doing what that doctor told you to do, right? You know, so sometimes we'll, we'll try to handle the urgent when it's not what's most important. And I think people do this with their oaths, things that are most important. Sometimes they sort of forget about those things. But the things that are knocking at their door, the things that Monday morning they might get a phone call about if they don't hurry up and get that taken care of Sunday night, well, they'll, they'll jump right on those. And so things that, that are they're, they're going to hit them in the face quicker or they're going to feel that and they forget that they made an oath to God. You know, sometimes people forget those big things because there's something right in, the, right in front of them that's got all their attention. And so they're focused on that. Um, definitely people still make oaths. Uh, they, they swear by things that are considered valuable or things that are important to that person, you know. Um, I hate to even say it, but people will swear by their kids. They'll swear by their parents' grave. Like, they'll say weird things. And people, but it's things that, that they say, hey, you know I'm serious because I'm swearing by this thing that you know is important to me. People handle those as, as, as more serious, and it's, it's, it's not supported by the Bible. It upset Jesus um, that people do this, but I'm just saying people do it. Um, number 11 says, do we make oaths that we shouldn't? If so, which ones? Yeah, the ones we won't keep, I guess we shouldn't have made the oaths, but, but that's, that may not always be true. There may be an oath that we made that we should be keeping and we don't. And so, you know, we should make that oath. We should do it. Um, we definitely shouldn't be swearing by, by people or things. Okay. That's a, that's a given. Um, and, and here's where I think this happens. I'm just kind of speeding us along a little bit. Um, we're, we're more prone to doing this in the sense of making deals with God. Have you ever had a scare? You ever been concerned about something and all of a sudden it's, boy, God, if you will get me out of this, I promise I will do this. I promise I will get more serious. And, and guys, we'll do it in, in the most um, genuine, sincere mindset sometimes. Now, sometimes it's, it's, it's petty. Okay, I've heard stories, you know, where these things are done uh, really petty. Those are usually not very serious, people who aren't very serious about their, their walk with Christ, you know. But sometimes we'll do this on really important things. God, if you will just do this, okay. If you've ever done that, welcome to the club. Every one of us in the room, I think, has, has faced a moment uh, where we were at least emotionally on our knees and, and we kind of made a deal with God. Well, God probably didn't enter into that deal with you. God probably was like, you're right, you do need to do that. And I would like to help you with that situation. So why don't you go ahead and do that? And, and I'll get to work on the other end of that and, and see uh, what's best in that situation. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we're told very clearly, let our yes be yes and our no be no. Don't, be, don't swear by anything. Um, here, we've got a very obvious example that, that this can only serve to get you in trouble because, you know, they're swearing by the wrong things and, and Jesus is like, but if you do swear by these wrong things, you're really swearing by, by me, by my presence in the temple, not just the temple itself. So, I mean, there's no winning when we make these oaths like this. Um, we really don't need to make these deals with God. What we need to do is we need to hit our knees and say, I'm scared. I'm upset. Um, I need help. And if you want to be real honest, you can go ahead. Don't make it a deal, but you can go ahead and say, God, I know that I'm not doing what I should be doing. And I haven't been doing what I should be doing. And this has served as a wake-up call for me. You don't need to go and make a deal with God, Okay. He's not negotiating things, so, so there's no sense in trying. But honesty is great. Honesty and saying, this has woken me up. This has opened my eyes. You've got my attention, and I'm going to get on it and, and do what I need to do. And, and I'm trusting you through this. I'm scared to death. That's fine. That's fine to be scared. I say, I'm scared, but I am trusting you through this, and I'm going to get my act together as best as I can. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> with that with that we'll move on <laughs> now maybe maybe stop just shy of that all right verse 23 and 24 
here still in Matthew chapter 23, uh, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, uh, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others, you blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. So what upset Jesus here? Majoring in minors. Majoring in minors. Um, so what's the real issue with majoring in minors? It's not that those things aren't necessarily important or that you should ignore those things or that they, they ought to be neglected themselves. It's that when we major in minors, it means we put, instead of the, the due emphasis on those things, instead we put an undue emphasis. We put a weightier emphasis on those things and we neglect things that we shouldn't neglect, but they're actually even bigger things. So the problem is when we major in minors, we neglect some really important things. That's the issue. It's not that we're not supposed to uh, pay attention to those other things. The last part of verse 23 says, these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. Okay, so, so these weightier provisions of the law, uh, justice and mercy and all these different things, man, those are the big things that you should have been doing without neglecting the others though. Okay, so, so it's all important. Number 13 says, how can Christians be guilty of this today? Well, yeah, we do the same thing, but, but how do we do it? We do it when we uh, are well-versed in our, our pet doctrines, right? Because we get so deep into those things that sometimes we kind of forget kind of where they really rank, you know, where they really sit, uh, and we end up neglecting other things that are very important because, boy, we've got this one thing that we're always hammering on him. And, or maybe this is the thing that, boy, when I was a, a young Christian, you know, I got really uh, involved in studying on this thing, so I really know this thing. And so then I kind of quit studying, but I still know a lot about that thing. And I keep telling everybody about that thing that I know a lot about, and we neglect so many other things because we're so well-versed in that one pet doctrine and we don't move on to, to understand uh, what all of the will of God is, all right? And those things that we need to be doing, <laughs> all right? Uh, we also, uh, when, we, when we do that, we neglect foundational things like confronting sin, proclaiming the gospel, uh, giving sacrificially, loving our enemies, praying regularly for important matters, spiritual things, right? Um, we, we stop or we, we neglect fighting to, to steal souls from hell. You know, there's people out there that, are, that we know good and well, okay? We're not judging them in a, a condemning way, but we can judge by their actions that what they're doing doesn't please God and, and we need to get involved. Well, we don't when we're, we're really concerned about this, this. Boy, I got really excited during this one Bible study about this one thing and I, I, I got myself in this little, you know, this rabbit hole and I, I just never come out of it. And there's all this big picture stuff that you're totally neglecting. Uh, we got to be careful to not let ourselves get sucked into those black holes like that, all right? Uh, verse 25 through 28. It says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside they are full of robbery and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and of the dish, so that the outside of it may become clean also. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but inside they are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. So you, too, outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. So what upset Jesus here? Concealing hidden sins. Concealing hidden sins. Number 14 says, how is outward righteousness dangerous? Our focus is on what? Yeah, what's on the outside, what, what others can see. And so, uh, borrowing from our last lesson, when we focus on one thing, what do we, by definition, end up doing? neglecting the other, right? So if we're focusing on the, what people are seeing on the outside, if we're focused on, um, you know, picking up the latest, greatest, broadest phylacteries and the longer tassels, when we're focused on those things, what do we end up doing? Neglecting the things on the inside. Neglecting the things that, that 
well, really matter. Inward righteousness is what really matters. Jesus said that it's what's on the inside that, that comes out of a man and matters. The, the, the other stuff is, is not, that's not the way it works. We need to be concerned about what's on the inside uh, because that's what comes out. So take care of the inside and the outside will take care of itself. Now, how is hidden sin dangerous? It's not repented of. Mm-hmm. When we work to hide something, okay, when we, when we work to keep it hidden, you know, hey, maybe you tell yourself, I'm working on it, but I'm keeping it hidden so that people don't see it, okay? When I try to keep it hidden, um, we, we work to make it appear that it isn't there, right? We, we work to make it look like that sin isn't there, and so we don't handle sin the way we should. We don't, we don't do what we ought to do with that sin. We don't, we don't find a, a trusted Christian. We don't find a, a, a preacher or, you know, a, a brother or sister in Christ that we can confide in. We don't confess those sins. We don't talk about, we don't have open discussion about it with somebody, you know, in, in the church that we trust. We probably avoid studying it in our Bibles because we don't really want to, we don't really want to face it, you know. We sort of avoid those uncomfortable things. When we've got this attitude that we want to hide this particular sin, even if we think we've got a good reason for doing it, well, we just, we just don't want to let that cat out of the bag. I'm working on it behind the scenes, okay? When you, when you do that, you have to work to keep it behind the scenes. We neglect all the things we ought to be doing with that sin when we try to hide it. Because trying to conceal it ends up causing it to, to grow, ends up causing our attitude to change. Uh, we kind of put it in a different compartment in our own heart and in our own mind. And eventually we may even convince ourselves that, that these sins or that sin isn't actually a problem for us. You know, you, you've heard it said that sometimes you can tell a lie often enough that you start to believe it yourself. Well, that can happen when you hide sin. Uh, you can start to think that you don't actually have a problem with that. Verses 29 and 30... 29 through 32 now. Matthew chapter 23, starting verse 29. Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous and say, If we had been living in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partners with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. So you testify against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of the guilt of your fathers. So what upset Jesus here? Honoring with your mouth, but not your heart. Honoring with your mouth, but not your heart. Number 16 says, why did Jesus tell the scribes and Pharisees in verse 32 to fill up then the measure of the guilt of your fathers? Why did he say that? He said they build these monuments to these prophets of old and, and decorate their, build and decorate their tombs and all this stuff. But then he says, fill up the measure of the guilt of your fathers. They did these great things and said we wouldn't have done, we wouldn't have murdered the prophets if we had been living in that age. So why is he saying fill up the measure of the guilt of your fathers? These men were admitting, Jesus says it there, these men were admitting that they were the sons, grandsons, great-grandsons of people who murdered the prophets. So in, in one sense he's saying fill up the measure of them, do what they did. And there's also the fact that he knows what are these guys doing? They're saying, oh, these prophets, we wouldn't have killed them, but they want to kill Jesus. Right? You see the hypocrisy there? Jesus sees that their sons and grandsons of murderers, they murdered the prophets, ones that God sent to them, and now here's Jesus sent by God, a prophet in his own right, more than a prophet, but a prophet in his own right. And what do they want to do? We wouldn't have killed the prophets back then. If we had been alive, we wouldn't have done that. See, we build monuments to the prophets, but we want you dead. And Jesus is like, I guess go ahead and fill up the, the guilt of your fathers because you are intending to do the same thing. All right, number 17, what are some specific examples of ways a Christian might honor the Lord with their mouths but not their hearts? Hey, just listen to these. Uh, to God be the glory. <laughs> what if you don't mean that? <laughs> In Jesus' name I pray. What if that prayer is selfish? It's all to bring honor to him. Well, what if you actually did it for attention? Speak where the Bible speaks. Be silent where the Bible is silent. Well, what if we don't? Those are honorable sounding things. Uh, they, they sound like we mean well for the Lord, but what if you don't mean them? Well, what if your behavior is in opposition to what you said with your mouth? 
Well, you're honoring with your mouth, but not your heart, and that upsets Jesus. I mean, you can talk the talk uh, just by hanging around uh, church people for a while, coming to the building on a, on a Sunday and hanging out for a while. You can, you can learn to talk the talk, but walking the walk is a whole different ball of wax, and we need to remember that honoring with your mouth, but not your heart, upset Jesus. Look at verses 33 through 35 now. Jesus says here, You serpents, you brood of vipers, how will you escape the sentence of hell? Therefore, behold, I am sending you uh, prophets and wise men and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify, and some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city, so that upon you may fall the guilt of all the righteous blood shed on the earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. So what upset Jesus here? Rejection of God's messengers. Rejection of God's messengers. Number 18 says, in what ways are Christians most often guilty of rejecting God's messengers? Sometimes we run away from or reject preachers who confront sin. Um, a, a lot of churches will fire an evangelist who preaches too much about something they don't want to hear or preaches too much about things that they aren't doing that they should do or things they are doing that they should stop doing. Um, going around slandering guys who preach the truth, you know, going around and trying to tell people that, you know, oh, well, this guy is too harsh or this guy talks too much about this or this guy's uh, style is distracting, you know, or, or they don't preach the way that I think they should. Well, that's the same thing. That's rejecting God's messengers. When those guys are telling the truth and those guys are preaching it like they should, that's rejecting God's messengers and that upset Jesus. Woe to you. Uh, verses 36 to 38. It says, Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were unwilling. Behold, your house is being left to you uh, desolate. And I said 38, let's read 39. For I say to you, from now on you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Number 19, how was Jerusalem unwilling? Jesus says they were unwilling. How was Jerusalem unwilling to allow the Lord to gather uh, its children like a hen gathers her chicks under her wings? Some of it's mentioned in verse 37. Do you see it? Uh-huh. Kill the prophets, stone those who are sent to her, right? That's some serious rejection right there, you know. That, that, that's the real deal. That's, that's rejection for sure. Uh, they were refusing to acknowledge Jesus as God's Messiah, you know, their, their Savior. They refused that. They rejected the help that he came to offer. I mean, on a, on a large scale, they just, they just rejected that he was there to help. Many of them were, were refusing the help that he came to offer. They didn't honor him as the son of God. That upset them. They, they, they screamed. I mean, it was mostly the, the scribes and Pharisees who would lead the charge and get the mob mentality going. But they would scream, you know, blasphemy and take him out and try to stone him. You know, he had to escape sometimes from that. They, they would threaten to stone him. Uh, they were trying to get him crucified. Many of them were on board with that idea, right? You know, Jesus wanted to gather them like a chick gathers her hens, or like a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. I'm terrible at this stuff. Um, and they rejected it. They refused. They were unwilling. They didn't want it. Number 20, in what way does the Lord want to gather us under his wings? Is God's desire for all men to be saved? To come to a knowledge of the truth? Yeah. Yep. Yep. I didn't answer the question yet, did I? After you said that word, what upset Jesus here? Rejecting his salvation. Sorry. <laughs> Rejecting his salvation. That was smooth the way you did it though, Carol. Instead of raising your hand, just you know, answering with the word salvation. <laughs> God's desire is for all men to be saved, to come to knowledge of the truth. God wants us to all take refuge in his son, we're told. This is the one who died to pay for our sin and rose to make eternal life possible. And who is unwilling? Who's unwilling to be gathered and to take refuge in the Lord in this way? How, how does that happen? People are unwilling to believe it. 
They, they won't accept it. They're unwilling to submit to it, unwilling to trust it, unwilling to obey the good news, unwilling to take refuge in Jesus, to allow him to be their savior and to obey him as their Lord. They don't want to give up the authority. They don't want to admit the vulnerability, the helplessness. They're just unwilling to say, I need Jesus is what it boils down to. And that's the same thing here. There's a lot of self-righteousness going, along, going around back when Jesus was speaking these words here on earth. There's a lot of people who thought, well, we're fine. We're sons of Abraham. We're this and we're that. And they were unwilling to say, I'm helpless and lost in my sin. And God said he would send a savior. And this man has been clearly attested with the signs and the miracles and the wonders that this is truly the son of God. Unwilling to accept it. Unwilling to receive the help that God sent him to provide, all right? So this upset Jesus, rejecting his salvation. And so, man, we need to go out and preach this far and wide and, and we need to try to help people to see it uh, so that they don't end up upsetting Jesus. Does it upset Jesus in an angry way? No, I don't think so when they reject his salvation. I think that one is clearly, it, it just breaks his heart. I think it breaks the Lord's heart when he's offered up all this help it's not a pride thing. He's not like, well, look what I've done for you. But he, he went through all that, making it possible for us to be saved, to take refuge in him. And when people turn away from that, it, it's very sad. And I, I truly believe that it breaks God's heart too. It upsets him in that way. So, so let's avoid these things. Keep that paper. Look through those, um, you know, this week or, or later tonight, maybe uh, kind of get these in your mind. I know we had to go kind of quick to get through them and it not be ridiculously long. Uh, but, but think about these things and, and how, uh, I mean, we made a point to make sure in each one of these that we talked about, well, how does this happen today? How does this attitude sometimes come across today? Make sure that you're aware of these and understand how they upset him. Some of them made Jesus really mad. Some of them broke Jesus' heart. We want to avoid upsetting Jesus in any way. We want to do what's satisfying to him, not what is dissatisfying to him, okay? Right? So keep this paper, uh, take a look at it, and uh, make sure you thoroughly understand it. And got any questions, be sure to let me know.